Hey, architecture firm owners and emerging leaders, get ready for unparalleled insight into the development of a world-class architecture firm and a worldwide organization driving the digital transformation of the design and construction industry with Build Smart, the podcast that's changing how our profession operates. We share the incredible stories behind innovation in the building industry with my friend and co-host, Patrick McLaney, FAIA, former CEO of the international architecture firm, HOK. You know, Yamasaki's office or firm lasted during his lifetime. And when he passed away, I think that was the end of the Yamasaki office. Helmut did not want that. He wanted a firm that would live out and grow beyond the founders. In season one, discover the untold stories behind HOK's meteoric rise, from 150 employees in St. Louis to a powerhouse with over 1,900 staff members and 27 offices worldwide. You know, they weren't as polite as the Kojima people. That was just boom. And anytime you have a creditor, whether it's Kojima or the bank, that wants their money, unless you can raise money someplace else, you are out of business. Bankrupt. Bankrupt. And hold on tight for season two, where Patrick takes us on a new adventure as chairman of Building Smart International, shaping the future of digital transformation in the design, construction, and operation of built assets. Ian Howell, Ken Harold, and I, Ken was my technical representative from HOK. The three of us took a tour of Europe of five cities in five days. Very busy time. Simply follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Smart Now and uncover lessons that will transform you and your architecture firm. My name is Mark Arlapage, and you are listening to Entree Architect Podcast, where each week I speak with inspiring, passionate people who share their knowledge and expertise all to help you build a better business as a small firm entrepreneur architect. Ian Motley, welcome back to Entree Architect Podcast. Thank you very much, Mark. It's good to be here. Oh, it's, it's so good to have you back, Ian, because let me tell you, the last time you were here, let me see, it was episode 252, it was a while ago, um, still one of our most popular episodes talking all about design fees specifically it was called how to develop an architecture fee proposal that converts um very popular episode i even did a little clip of that on the youtube channel and that got a bunch of hits too and so um, i'm looking forward to this conversation we're going to talk more about design fees and how to put together a proposal that works um before we do that let me just remind people who you are um, we're not going to jump into an origin story. If you want to hear the, uh, Ian's origin story, go back to episode 252. Um, but as an introduction, Ian Motley is a design fee proposal expert, a speaker, and an author specializing in design fees, conversion rates, and scope creep. He has a background in project management, working as a fee proposal writer and negotiator for Foster and Partners. Uh, he's co-authored five design fee and appointment guides that sell in 13 different countries. He's been a keynote speaker all over the place, 150 architectural conferences and private training sessions around the world. Uh, He's been here with us before, as I mentioned, episode 252, how to develop an architecture fee proposal that converts. So you can go back and listen to that. Um, And as you will soon hear, Ian is very passionate about this topic, about helping architects and design professionals write successful fee proposals. Uh, Ian Motley, it's great to have you back on the show here. Thank you very much for inviting me back. It's it's good to be back. Let's uh, let's jump right into talking about fees. Like I mentioned, origin story episode two fifty two. Um, this is a very popular topic uh, for architects, as you well know. Uh, architects struggle with this topic. They are they struggle with fees. They want to earn the fees they deserve, uh, but many of them we're not trained as business people. We don't, no one ever taught us this unless we proactively go out and learn it. Um, and often we as architects make our fees either way too complicated, uh, and very, very often way too low. We feel like we don't deserve what we should be earning. Um, so why do you think architects get it wrong so often? What, what, what is it about fees, 
that are so difficult to get right for architects? Well, it's a, it's a big subject, but look, firstly, it's because, you know, as architects, you're not trained to write fee proposals. You're potentially given a little bit of training on how to calculate the costs for you as the design professional to provide the service, but you're not trained on how to present those fees and your service to the client. Um, and that's the main problem we find. And because we're not trained on it, we all do what is the logical, what is the intuitive approach, which is, is the kind of, uh, you know, meeting with the client free of charge, working out what the client wants to do, and then trying to work out what that's going to cost you and then putting that scope and a fee that matches that scope within a proposal with some other legal uh, onerous terms and conditions and then giving it to the client. And when you use that approach, you're not selling the service. You're basically saying, I can do this for you. It's going to cost X dollars or pounds or euros. And then as a client, when you receive something like that, you don't understand the value that that design professional can bring to the project. And therefore you see them as a commodity and you judge them as a commodity. And you say to yourself, well, okay, they're willing to do it for X dollars. Is that a good fee? Is that a bad fee? I, I don't know. So as a human being, what do you do? Well, you go and solicit other proposals from other design professionals. And then the way you make your purchasing decision is that you look at the differences between the fees being offered. And that's why most design professionals suffer in this arena, because the way we write proposals makes the client focus on the fee. And once the client focuses on the fee, we tend to focus on the fee and then the fee ends up coming down. And that's the problem. Yeah, it's like it's like buying a car, right? That that you you go out, you buy a car, you know the car you want, you know the options you want, and then you go and see who's going to give you that car for the lowest fee. And, exactly, exactly. And often architects do do the same thing, and and even worse, sometimes architects will try to put together a fee that they think that the client will accept, right? They try to figure out what the client's willing to pay, and then that's what I'm going to charge. They don't even look at what it costs them to do the work that they have to do. Exactly. This is what we call preconditioning. You know, they're preconditioning themselves to if they go to an affluent neighborhood, they think, well, this this client has a lot of money They'll, you know, they'll be prepared to spend more. They'll perhaps expect to spend more. So we need to price ourselves accordingly. Likewise, if you go to a more affordable neighborhood, then you prejudge that and you might reduce your fee where if you've gone to the affluent, you wouldn't have. That's also known as negotiating against yourself. Right. It's something as architects, we all fall victim to. Um, and there is a way around that. There is a better way, but it does require educating ourselves on these processes before we write any more proposals. So let's get into that. Let's jump right into that. Cause that's what everybody wants to hear. How do, how do we do that? How do we, how do, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm sure there's a lot of mindset work first, right? There's yeah. a lot of things that we need to get right in our heads before we even start dealing with the calculator. So what are some of those mindset shifts that we need to make and how do we make them? Okay, number one, nobody really knows how much anything should cost. Okay, this is the thing we need to bear in mind. Nobody really knows how much anything should cost. As human beings, we all believe we're very good at judging price and value. We all believe we know what things should cost, but we don't. What we're very good at doing as human beings is we're good at comparing and contrasting. It's the comparing and contrasting process that we're good at. So if we realize that nobody really knows how much anything should cost, then we should also realize that clients are prepared to pay more or less for the design service. So it's not about finding the right fee number because there isn't such a thing as the right fee number. It's about presenting the fee in a way that will encourage clients to see the value and spend more on design services. So I don't know if that's completely clear, but that covers quite a few sort of different aspects we need to understand, but it all comes down to this idea of nobody really knows how much anything should cost, okay? Yeah. So stop trying to search for that price you think they're gonna be prepared to pay because it doesn't exist, okay? Um, instead, what we need to do is start to learn how to present our prices so that we can demonstrate value and encourage clients to spend more. So, so how do we do that? So we have we have to understand that that our clients don't really know what things cost. They don't have any idea what our services cost. They really don't even know what our services are, and so that's a great position to be in, 
right? That, yeah. that, that if, if now, if we're work, dealing with somebody who wants our services but doesn't really know what those services entail, they don't really know what they're worth, it's up to you now to present yeah. it in a way that they then feel comfortable and confident that you're going to provide them with what they need and that the price is the right value for what they're going to, to uh, the services they're going to get. So how do, we, how do we do that? How do we present it properly? Yeah, good question. So look, the, the thing to do, I think, is to go back to see what we're currently doing and then have a look at how we can improve that current okay. process. Okay, so what most architects, design professionals traditionally do in our industry is they follow a pricing model that economists would call first degree price discrimination. That is the name of the model that they use. And it goes something like this. You wait for a client to contact you about their project. Okay. Once they contact you, you know, an email, text message, maybe through an instant, uh, maybe through a social media account, something like that, they contact you, they're potentially going to be a referral, right? Then the next step in that journey is once they've made that initial contact, you as the design professional try and set up a call and you have that phone call to learn more about them and the project. What you're trying to do during that initial call is find out, are they a good fit for your firm? That's the objective of the call. If they are a good fit, then the next step in this pricing model, the next step in this journey, is to schedule a time to go and meet with them on site, okay, to learn more about them, to learn more about their project, to build that relationship, yeah? This on-site meeting, we traditionally give away for free. We traditionally, as architects, don't value it, so the client doesn't value it either. We give it away for free, and we subconsciously believe that we need to do that to try and win the work. So the point of that on-site meeting is to build the relationship, impress the client, and try and get them on our side because the next step in the journey is to write the proposal, okay? So we have the meeting, we learn about what they wanna do, we write down the scope, everything they're looking to achieve. We then go back to our office, we put that scope into a document, we think about how much we wanna charge once again, we will negotiate against ourselves, we will be preconditioned in that process, depending on if they're in an affluent neighborhood or not so affluent, blah, blah, blah. And then we'll come up with a fee and we'll send it to the client. Um, and then the client receives the proposal. Once again, the client doesn't know how much anything should cost. So when they get your fee, let's say your fee is 10% of the construction value, or maybe it's a lump sum fee, $100,000, doesn't matter. They get it, they don't know. Is it good, is it bad, they don't know. So inevitably they go through that same process with two or, other, two or three other design professionals and then they end up with a range of options. Now, eventually what the client's gonna to do to make them feel good about the purchasing decisions that they make is they're gonna, first of all, take the path of least resistance because as human beings, we like to make things simple and easy. So we're not gonna review the proposals in their entirety. We're not gonna go through the websites of every design firm, really learn about them, what makes them tick. We're not gonna do that. What we're gonna do is get the proposals and then we're gonna judge them on the fee because that makes it easy. So if you're offering a fee of 10%, another design professional comes along, they're offering a fee of 8%, right? Because we've all got lower price competition. And then yet another design professional comes along, perhaps less experience, and they're offering a fee of 6%. So what does a client do? They want to appease their emotional criteria. They want to feel good about the decisions that they make. So they're going to go to the person that has the most expensive proposal because as human beings, we associate price with value. The more expensive it is, the better it's got to be, right? But we also know somebody's prepared to do it for 6%. So we go to the expensive firm and say, there's a firm down the road that's willing to do this work, but you know, half the fee you're charging for, thereabouts, would you like to reconsider your fees? Okay. Now, as a design professional, you're in a really awkward situation now. Why? Because this is now being framed as your project. It's your project to lose. They've come to you. They've told you they want to work with you. If there's a firm that will do it more affordably, would you like to negotiate? So you subconsciously are thinking, if I say no to the client, I don't want to negotiate, then I risk losing this project. And I don't want to lose it. So emotionally, you're telling yourself, I do need to negotiate. Now, as a design professional, you want to negotiate quickly. You don't want to negotiate. But if you're going to negotiate, you want to make sure it's quick, <laughs> it's it's over as quickly as possible, and you get this project signed up because you would really like to start working on it. So you do what you think is fair and reasonable. So maybe that means reducing the fee by 10%, yeah? 
So you go back to the client and say, yeah, we are prepared to negotiate. In fact, we can offer you a fee, you know, a fee reduction of 10% out of that time. Now, once again, you believe that this is a very positive thing. You think this is a great thing. You think they should see the value in it. They should sign you up immediately and you should get started. Now, as a client, an emotionally driven creature, when a design professional suddenly, just like that, reduces their fee by 10%, instead of feeling good about it, you start to feel suspicious right. about it. You're thinking, hang on, they just reduced the fee by 10%. I wonder how much more fluff is in this proposal, right? So instead of accepting it, you end up dragging out the negotiation perhaps even longer. And this is what we typically all go through. This is why we all say nobody values good design. This is why we're always searching for that price that's going to try and win the client over on day one so we don't have to go through negotiations and so forth and so forth. This pricing model that we're all using is called by economists, as I previously mentioned, it's called first degree price discrimination. You don't need to know about the name. All you need to know about this pricing model is that it relies on negotiation to secure the sale. That's how the pricing model is structured. And that is a very, very, very similar, or not similar, a very familiar scenario that you just laid out. I, yeah. I, I know that there are people listening, nodding their heads, yes, you know, been over that over and over and over again. Um, and so we're doing that. Architects as a profession are doing that. Um, so how do we fix that? What do we do differently so that doesn't happen? Yeah, that's a good question. So um, the, the thing we need to do is, first of all, we need to appreciate that purchasing decisions are emotional decisions, right? So it's how the client feels. It's not the actual number. It's how they feel about the number. And the number, how they feel about it, is dictated in a large part because we can't judge value in isolation. We need, we're very good at comparing and contrasting. How they feel about your fee is largely determined by what other numbers other, client, other design professionals are putting on the table. Right. So if you're offering 10%, there's an 8 and 6%, how they feel about yours is you're probably the best service, but you're the most expensive. Do they want to spend that money? Maybe they can negotiate it down. It's how they feel. Likewise, if you put 10%, somebody puts 12 and somebody puts 14, all of a sudden you're most affordable. You know, how do they feel about quality, not the best fit? You know, um, so that, that's what we need to understand. So what do we do? Well, we need to understand the purchasing decisions and emotional decisions. Then we need to understand how to write proposals that address the emotions, okay? How we can capture the client's emotions and encourage them to want to spend more. So as an example, instead of just putting my 10% fee proposal forward, what would happen if I gave the client a range of fees instead of one fee number? And I'm using percentages as an example here, but it doesn't have to be percentages. It could be lump sum, you know, fixed uh, fees, uh, you know, like $10,000, $100,000. It could even, you know, um, be square foot cost, you know. Could be hourly, right? So it doesn't, you don't have a preference. Exactly. I mean, hourly is a little different because it's hard to put a range of hourly rates on the table. It Mm -hmm. is possible, but it's a little bit different. But essentially, you know, what would happen if you took that same proposal, instead of offering 10%, you offered an 8, a 10, and a 12%. And you said, actually, there's different types of service I can provide you with. And then when the client receives this proposal, instead of looking at a 10% number and thinking to themselves, is that good? Is that bad? I don't know. Let me get some other proposals to judge it by. Instead of doing that, they get the proposal and they think, well, hang on, wasn't expecting that. There's an 8% fee, a 10% fee, and a 12% fee. So the next question they have is, what is the difference? Why have you given me three options? What is the difference between these options? So all of a sudden, the client is encouraged, gently encouraged, to become more involved in the actual work that we do as design professionals to try and understand what the differences are between the 8 10 and 12%. And that is a whole different relationship compared to the just taking your 10% and comparing it to the competition. So that is our recommended approach. That's what economists would call either second or third degree price discrimination, depending on how you present it, the options you offer. It's either second or third degree price discrimination. And that is the approach that we would recommend. It caters more to the client's emotional criteria. Let's take a break to thank our sponsors for their support of this episode. 
As architecture demand increases toward pre-pandemic levels and beyond, how are you and your architecture firm keeping up? RCAT is here to help. RCAT.com offers several free tools to help architecture and design firms like yours get work done faster. Use RCAT's powerful search engine to find the right products for your projects and download BIM, CAD, and specifications right there on the same page without needing to pay or register. It's free. RCAT.com also offers product videos, catalogs, green reports, product certification information, outline and short form specification generation, and so much more. Visit RCAT.com today. RCAT.com is your one-stop solution to help increase your productivity and get more projects done faster. That's RCAT.com, A-R-C-A-T.com. FreshBooks makes it simple to send invoices, post your expenses automatically, track your time for your whole team, buy project, and get organized with financial reports, communication, and notifications. My favorite feature in FreshBooks is the automated invoice reminders. I think sending invoices and getting paid is one of the biggest barriers to our success as entrepreneur architects. Who has the time? But if we don't send out the invoices, we don't get paid, right? FreshBooks makes it easy to send out your invoices and get paid fast online with a click of a button. And when your client doesn't pay you on time, FreshBooks will send them a friendly email reminder through a simple system that you control. Sign up for a free 30-day unrestricted trial and get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid faster. Go to entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks and enter Entree Architect in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's entrearchitect.com slash FreshBooks. In the last few years, premium outdoor spaces have become a must-have architectural feature. And Infratech outdoor electric heating systems have become the brand of choice among leading architects. Infratech heaters provide energy-efficient ambient warmth that allows homeowners to live outdoors during cooler months. Clients love them because they can enjoy 100 more nights a year outside. Architects love them because of their unparalleled versatility. From heater capacities and colors to mounting options that can either seamlessly disappear or accentuate a space with beautiful decorative coverings. They're also the only comfort heat company to offer smart home integration and hands-free voice-activated control. For over 60 years, Infratech has made their products in the USA at competitive prices. They offer incredible design and live technical support at every stage of a job. A few years ago, I was visiting Sonoma Wine Country in California. It was during the autumn, so it was a bit cool when the sun dropped below the horizon. One evening, we joined a group of friends for dinner at one of the big wineries, and, and we ate outside on the veranda. That amazing Sonoma sun was setting behind the vineyard, so it was getting rather cool that evening, but we were very comfortable. In fact, the temperature was perfect for an outdoor meal during a cool Sonoma evening. I looked up and around to discover why that temperature was so comfortable and found, yes, you guessed it, an Infratech heater integrated with the design of the wood trellis above our table. All these years later, I know it was an Infratech heater because back at the studio, we were planning a large outdoor space for a client and outdoor heating was part of that plan. And we ended up specifying six Infratech heaters for that project. Their amazing customer support team helped us specify the right units, and we had a very happy and comfortable client. Infratech is specified at the most prestigious properties around the world. Learn why and sign up for a free consultation at infratech-usa.com forward slash podcast. That's infratech-usa.com slash podcast. Please visit our platform sponsors today and thank them for supporting you, the Entree Architect community. So let me make sure I understand this. So the first, the first scenario, we're essentially setting a setting it up to compare our price against potentially two other prices, and really our client is 
really just looking at the price and then going right into negotiation mode. They're not worried about what's included in that price. It doesn't really matter. It just, this, they're assuming that all this, the, the services are the same and they're just different prices and they're, they're going to negotiate. This other approach, when we present three different options with three different services tied to those three different options, now rather than looking for, for first of all, rather than looking for other uh, architects to compare your price to, now they're comparing your three scenario prices, your three options, and now they're diving into the actual services that are going to be provided for each one of those prices, and they're making decisions based on the value of each one of those services to them rather than the pricing. They're, they're more focused on the value. Is that correct? Yeah, let's just unpack that a little bit, explore yeah. it a little bit more. When you use the traditional model, the first degree price combination, traditionally, our pro proposals are set up in the same way. So the first two or three pages of the document, the fee proposal document, will explain the scope to the client. It will yep. reflect back to them what they've asked for, essentially. Then in the middle, there'll be the fee, then they'll have the terms and conditions. Got when it. a client picks this up, it's very difficult for them to read a scope and then get a second quote and a third quote, read those scopes and understand the differences. Right. You know, I'm I'm trained as a project manager. I spent most of my life reading scopes, and I still find it extremely challenging to pick up different scopes and read them. And the reason is is because traditionally, as a architect, we didn't want to be too specific in the scope because we wanted to give ourselves flexibility in the design, the creative process. Right. So the scopes tended to be very narrative. They weren't deliverable based, saying we're going to give you the X, Y, and Z. They were more, we're going to do the following. We're going to attend these meetings. We're going to liaise with these partners and, and so forth. And so as a result, the traditional model is very difficult to compare. When, it, when you make something difficult for a human being, they pick the path of least resistance. The path of least resistance is comparing fees because that's very easy to do. And it's very easy to appease the emotions. When you, when you pick fees, you negotiate the expensive one down. Then you feel good about your decisions, right? So what we're doing with our approach now is we're not giving them free, you know, our eight and 10 and 12%, we're not giving them free overwhelming scopes of service. What we're gonna do is summarize the services. We're gonna use what we call a fee matrix, which is essentially gonna explain some of the main differences between those options so that a client can really start to understand the benefits associated with spending more or the benefits associated with spending less, depending on on, on you know what they benefit you know what they like what they enjoy uh what their their benefits are to them um so that's what we would recommend so yeah the first approach is usually usually using quite a long-winded uh scope of service the second approach is you know just squeezing that down into a nice succinct argument if you like right so so you said uh, a fee matrix is it so is that and you wanted to summarize each scope so it's very clear and understandable is this is this a paragraph or is this a list of basically services that you know we're going to do this 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 and in this service we'll do all of that plus this and then the third one is we're going to do all of that plus this and this is that how it what you're essentially proposing great question great question so a little bit like when you design a project um, you know there's a million ways to design a home not you know not necessarily there's not just one right answer there's there's many different answers right it's the same thing when you create a fee matrix there's some principles we have to apply okay which we're trying to achieve how you do that depends largely on the project your firm and what you're prepared to do in a design service but the the principles you want to apply is one it's got to be simple the more complicated that matrix becomes then the more overwhelmed the client gets and the less likely they are to make a decision. The more simple it can be to compare and contrast, the more comfort we give the client, the more likely they are to move forward and make a decision. So simplicity is key uh, with that. And then the second thing that's really key is we wanna focus on the differences. It's no use having a fee matrix which shows everything being the same. What we Got really it. wanna know is what are the differences between the services? And like I say, once again, depending on the firm, depending on the project, depending on the client type, there's you know, there's an infinite way uh, in presenting that information. Can you give an example of one way just so we can sort of understand what you're saying in terms of, let's say it's a small commercial uh, office building. 
and you know somebody's come to us and said, "Hey, I need to design. I need to build a new office building, um, and we're going to put together a proposal for the design fee for that. What, what, do we, what would be included in each one of those matrix?" Good question. Good question. So first of all, we've got a we've got a small office building. It's a commercial client. So the question becomes, and this is slightly challenging because you have to kind of take off your architectural hat for a second and put on the client hat. And you have to say to yourself, why are they doing this project? What's motivating them to want to do it? With commercial clients, typically, it's because they want to make money. Right. Right. So a commercial client isn't so concerned about what the building looks like. What they're mainly concerned about is how much money is it going to make for them? Okay. So as a design professional, to demonstrate our value in this situation, we want to demonstrate how we can make more money for the client. Because if we can make more money for them, potentially our fee becomes slightly negligible, right? It becomes slightly unimportant um, if we can actually help them with their goal. So how do we go about that? Well, there's various ways. For example, one option is with developers, cash flow is always a problem. They're not making money till certain approvals have been granted, certain you know financing has been achieved, certain projects have been built, and so forth. So one option with them is creating what we call a success fee fee proposal, which is basically offering options based on the terms of payment. We're saying to the client, look, I understand you're working at risk until this project, in this situation with an office, until it's probably leased out, right? Yeah. I understand you're working at risk until that happens. So what we're going to do is give, give you different payment terms. One of the terms is going to be our standard payment clause where we want to be paid monthly, we want to be paid upfront, immobilization, or deposit retainer, uh, you know, uh, uh, deposit, whatever we want to call it. We've got that standard terms. The other one is saying we're going to defer some of these payments until a certain project goal or milestone is met. And then once it's met, we're going to be rewarded with a bonus, a success fee, hence the name success fee proposal a success fee. So in that situation, we're only offering two options, but they're based around payment terms. Why? Because we know the client doesn't care about design. That's not what's driving them. Okay. In most situations. So we understand that cash flow is important to them. So we're offering them options based around cash flow. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes, totally makes sense. And, and, and they certainly, they, they value and appreciate the design, but the motivating factor of uh, building this building and getting this thing built uh, is about making money, and so how do you present it in a way to show them that if they use this option, they have this scenario in terms of how they're going to earn and, and make more money, and this option over here gives them uh, an option to uh, not spend so much up front and later. So you're, you're working with the terms. The important piece is identifying what's most important to that client. Right, so exactly. it, in a, in a case of a, a commercial office building, money would be the most important. So in the case of a of an addition for a, a family with a home, that's a very different situation, right? So how would you exactly. approach it in terms of a small residential project? So you hit the nail on the head. It's very different client type. They're a residential client. They're not motivated to make profit necessarily. They're more motivated by their emotions. They may be want to cater to a growing family or a change in the family situation dynamics. Um, they may be trying to achieve a lifelong dream, um, having something prestigious to show off to friends and family, to have a lot of you know, vacations, holidays, uh, and events in and out. So what we want to do is understand that. Okay, so we're not offering options different based around different payment terms because they're not motivated by cash flow necessarily, right? So what we're going to do is say, well, hang on a minute. They're probably motivated by design, right? They want to get this right. Most of us get one chance in a lifetime, if we're lucky, to you know uh, renovate an existing home, add addition, a conversion, or something of that nature, or build a brand new home. So what we're going to do in this situation is base our options around design. We're going to say, look, what you need to move forward in this project might be a permit. Uh, if you're in Australia, it might be a development application. Um, if if you're In the UK, it might be council approval to go forward with the project. So what you're saying to the client is, you know, you need to get some sort of approval. So there is a fee to get you that approval. Once you've got that approval, you may not need me as the architect. 
you might be able to take it with your local builder and save a lot of money. Okay, but before you make that choice, I wanna show you what you're missing out on potentially if you choose to go that route and save the money. And so option B is gonna show you, by the way, if you wanna continue over, this is the benefits. Okay, and then option C. So as an example, what could the benefits be? Well, there's various elements to designing a building, uh, a residential building. Um, so for example, part of it is the shell and core, you know, the, the overall bulk scale, the look and feel of the whole building. But then as we get into the details, there's more refined aspects, like the kitchens, the bathrooms, the stairwell, fireplaces, these types of things, bespoke cabinetry and storage units, that sort of stuff. So the question becomes, as an architect, where do you want us to stop design? Okay, do you want us to spec out all the details? Do you want us to include, um, you know, floor tile patterns and layout plans and wall tile patterns and layout plans? Do you want us to specifically call out all of these materials? Or is that something you want to work out with yourself or with your builder or with somebody else, with the fabricator, for example? So we could offer options based in that way. And that way, once a client says, well, actually, I'm financially sensitive, I don't have a big budget, it's an addition because our house is getting, you know, our family's getting bigger, but we don't want to spend the money, we've just got to, then they can choose option A, but they can give up all the bells and whistles. However, they get to see or see and emotionally feel what they're giving up. And it's very difficult as human beings to say no to things when offered them. Um, you will notice this in your own purchasing behavior, of course, if you look at the type of car that you drive, right? If we were logical and rational human beings, we would all go and buy the base model, the most affordable model, because it will get us for A to B, you know, in relative comfort with, with, with relative access to technology and so forth. And it will be the most affordable uh, option available. But we don't do that. Our emotions take over. And before we know where we are, we're buying a car that aligns with our personality. And then once we've chosen a certain model, we end up upgrading that model. So if we've you know, chosen to buy a, you know, a Mercedes GLC, for example, then all of a sudden, we're looking at the AMG version of the GLC, which would be their sports edition. You know, we don't need it. <laughs> it's going to serve us no real functional purpose, but our emotions are telling us, you know, I've worked hard this year. <laughs> I deserve the best. Or actually, it's going to have better resale value, or it's going to be more enjoyable to drive. It's going to be more fun. It's going to be more rewarding. And that feeds into our emotions, and we end up negotiating against ourselves and convincing ourselves that we must get the AMG model, okay? And the same thing will happen with your clients. Once you say, well, look, you could have your architect design a bespoke kitchen. You know, do you really wanna go out and choose your own stuff when you've had this beautiful new addition added to your home and you're extending that family room and you know, you're creating a really enjoyable place to have Christmas and the holidays and so forth. Do you really wanna go that? And then all of a sudden you can see that, you know, their emotions will take over and they'll see the value associated with paying a little bit more to get the architect more involved as you go through. Very interesting, very valuable information you're sharing with us, Ian. Um, as you're talking about this, as we're talking about these, all these different options and how to present your proposal, um, I'm going back to what you said at the very beginning. There's two steps prior to presenting the proposal. There's, there's making sure that this client is a good fit Right, So you make sure that you're working with somebody who wants the services that you actually provide. We talk about that a lot with Build Your Brand and, and the work that, that Jeff Eccles does um, with, with Ideal Client. Make sure that you're working with an ideal client. And if they're not, refer them to someone else or just say that this is not the right fit. So that's really important because you really can't get to this final step with the wrong client. Uh, and then the second one is even more important because everything you're talking about in preparing this proposal is using the information that you've gathered in step two of understanding what they need and what they want, right? That, that meeting, that in-person meeting to understand, to gather all of that information uh, because that's where you're going to learn what their priorities are. That's where you're going to learn what they need most because you're going to ask them and they're going to tell you. And then you're gonna go back and you're gonna to put together a proposal that's based on the things that they just told you they needed and that what they valued emotionally uh, and that's what will make the proposal successful at the end. Is that right, Ian? Yeah, exactly. We always like to say that although you provide a design service, that's the service you're offering, you're not selling a design service. 
you're selling a solution to the client's problems. So you really want to focus your fee proposal on the benefits, the benefits of paying you, the design professional, more to have more involvement, uh, more of your involvement in the actual project. And this is, you know, once again, when we use first degree price discrimination, we're selling a service. We then get treated as a commodity. We then get negotiated down. When you use second and third degree price discrimination, you're selling benefits of a service, and it's far more powerful to take that approach. Exciting. It's we, This is something that we need to get right as architects. This is a foundational piece of success in business. Uh, we have to get our fee and our fee presentation right because everything else is based on that, right? In order to, to do everything else we want to do, we have to get the fee right so we're making enough money to actually do all the other things that we want to do. So this is a really critical piece. Before we wrap up, Ian, I wanted to ask you the question that I ask everybody here. Um, what is one thing that a small firm architect can do today to build a better business for tomorrow? Yeah, good question. Uh, obviously, from my position, yeah. it's about getting the fee proposal right. The fee proposal is the keystone, to use an architectural term, is the keystone in your practice. If you don't get the fee proposal right, it's going to be very difficult to build the client base you want, to work on the projects that you want. So it is the keystone. Now you, as an architect, have to make a judgment call. Is this something you're prepared to educate yourself on and learn about? Because if it is, that is fantastic and we can help you with that. If not, then you may need to hire somebody or look elsewhere in your firm if, if you're a partnership or you've got employees to somebody might find that interesting uh, to do because it's really important somebody in the firm learns how to do it and how to do it properly because it's going to make the world of difference. Yeah. Is there a way that people can work with you? Is there, what's your, what's your process? If somebody wants to work with Blue Turtle and wants to work with you, what, what do they need to do? Sure. There, there are three ways we can work with you. Um, one is the thing we're most famous for. It's a course we've been delivering now for approximately 10 years. Um, it's called the Fee Proposal Workshop, and it trains architects, design professionals, how to write a successful proposal. It basically takes you through the whole process, the psychology of what's influencing the purchasing decisions we make, okay? Then, well, now we understand what's influencing them. How can we capture that and present it in a proposal? Once we understand that, we then take you through all the case studies, and they're there so that you can copy them, so that you don't have to go through the whole learning curve yourself. You can see what works, what doesn't work. You can take those and use them in your practice. So that's the first way. That's called the fee proposal workshop. Um, and we can help you with that. The second way is mindset. You briefly touched on this earlier. Um, a big part of being successful in business is having the confidence to ask for a reasonable fee. It's having the confidence to make sure you don't meet with clients free of charge, but you charge them for the initial service, okay? During the fee proposal workshop, we're going to train you on the strategy of how to do that. We're going to give you the information and able to do it. But in order for you to do it, you're going to need some confidence. And the best way to build your confidence is to um, talk to us and join one of our mastermind groups. And the reason this has been very successful is because when you join one of our mastermind groups, you put in a team of approximately 10 other design professionals. And when you see other design professionals are actually charging for the initial site visit and getting paid, mm -hmm. then it encourages you to change your mindset and actually say, you know what, if they're doing it, I can do it too. And it will motivate you to actually put those processes into action. Also, it gives you an opportunity to ask people, you know, I understand you charge the initial meeting. Exactly what you say. Exactly how to this on. What do you say when the client turns around and say, yes, but how much do you actually charge for the full service? You know, and it's 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 very powerful to have a group of your peers tell you what they're doing and what's working for them and also what's not working. So that's the second way of the mastermind group. The third way is we can work one on one with you. We start off by reviewing your proposal. We'll analyze it in detail. There are 15 things we look for in a successful proposal. We will check your proposal against the 15 criteria and we'll, we'll measure it. We'll see how you're doing. Have you included all 15? If you haven't, what have you included? What have you not included? And if you have addressed it, have you addressed it in the correct manner or not? Can we improve upon it? Um, and that's what we call the consulting service. It starts with a fee proposal review, and then we can work with you to create a custom template for your firm. Is that, is that all available at your website? 
It is uh, the best way to move forward is actually to schedule a call with me so we can find out a little bit more about your situation, what you're trying to achieve, your timeframes, and answer any questions you have. The call is absolutely free. Um, I will send a link to you, Mark, and so that you can share it with your audience. Um, And usually the call takes about 45 minutes to an hour, okay? Uh, We set aside some time every week to, to, to take these calls, to talk to you, to learn about where you're at, where you want to go, if we can help you in that process and the options of the three options that I've discussed, we can talk about those and answer any questions you have. So there's Great. no obligation. It's a free call. And if we're not a good fit, we're not a good fit. Yeah. Yeah. Just, just like you talked just, just 10 minutes ago talking about making sure they're the right fit. If, if you're not a good fit, then, then they'll, you'll recommend them to somebody else. Um, exactly. we're, we're going to set up a really simple link for that scheduling call. We're going to, we're going to set up entrearchitect.com slash blue turtle. Um, and that will forward to a Calendly where you can schedule a time to to have a conversation with Ian uh, and go through that discovery call. So it's entrearchitect.com slash blue turtle uh, for that to set up that call. Uh, his name is Ian Motley. The company is Blue Turtle Consulting. Um, always valuable conversation with you, Ian. I appreciate you for all you're doing uh, for the profession. This is a very important topic. This is something, like I, I mentioned earlier, this is something that we have to get right. This is not optional. We need to figure out how to to bring our fees to the point where they are where they need to be, uh, so so clients value us because it's all they tie. Like you said, it, our our value is tied to our fees, um, and so this is a way that you can you can help uh, get your fees up. And so Ian, I appreciate you for helping architects do that, uh, and for coming on here today and sharing a lot of information about uh, fee proposals. I appreciate you for that. Thank you very much for inviting me back. It's been an absolute pleasure. If you liked this episode of Entree Architect Podcast, please share a rating, write a review, and share a link to this episode with a friend. That's how Entree Architect will grow to serve thousands more architects just like you. Thank you to our sponsors, RCAT, FreshBooks, and Infratech Comfort Heaters for their support of this episode. Links to our sponsors and all the resources we discussed today are available at the show notes for this episode found at entrearchitect.com slash podcast. Entree Architect is a member of the Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And check out Entree Architect Academy membership. Ready to edit business resources, live monthly business training for architects, a supportive architect community, and simple systems. Our new business system program developed for small firm entrepreneur architects just like you. It's all waiting for you right now at Entree Architect Academy membership, including AIA continuing education learning units. Come join me and hundreds of your entrepreneur architect peers Visit entrearchitect.com slash join to enroll today. Thank you for listening. Love, learn, and share what you know. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything, yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that 
then you know in your head you've rooted like oh i'm connected to these people like long term the process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges demanding meticulous planning flawless execution and unyielding resilience i kind of hate the term because it's so overly used but i think everybody knows imposter syndrome and i think it's it's so real to this day i i, I don't know if it's with everybody but with me i'm always questioning like us? Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success. Calling all small firm architects. It's time to tap into your full potential with Entree Architects Context and Clarity, where inspiration meets innovation. Hey, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my two favorite co-hosts, Jeff Eccles and Katie Kangas, as they bring together authors, experts, and thought leaders for electric conversations with entrepreneur architects around the globe. It's not just a podcast, it's a community where dreams meet action. There is a simple equation there. And what for me, what that did, just doing that basic calculation was, it allowed me to compare what I had actually saved in my retirement accounts to what I thought a possible projected annual spend might be. Artists are temperamental, so beautiful design is gonna be a priority. When the job is done, we're gonna actually need to live in the house, not live with the person who designed it. And so for me, the, the artistic skill, the architectural skill is most important. And so I would say like that would be 60% of it, if not more. Gain insights to build a successful practice. Subscribe, engage, and let's redefine your future together. Join the Context and Clarity community, where every conversation adds to your blueprint for success.